have to tell the man he can go sit down because if not, he won't, he won't relax. But it is a privilege. I'm going to take just a moment to visit with you, then I'm going to jump right into the Word today. It is a privilege to be able to come back what I consider home, what I consider to be back home. I, you know, you forget how beautiful this building and this property really is until you turn that corner. And, and that sign looks spectacular, too, by the way. It looks gorgeous. But it's just a beautiful, and I know we were here when, they, when, you, when we built it and we were a part of it, but you just forget how special it is until you come back. But it, I, me and my family are so thankful to be here. When Amber asked me a, a few weeks back if, if we could do this, and I, you know, I told her I'd have to check my calendar, but I, I would think about it. But no, we, we jumped right on it. We're excited to be here. And, and I know your pastor and his pastor wife both really do not like being talked about and bragged on, and they don't like the attention put on them, but y'all have some good ones. And I think y'all know that. I, I'm pretty positive y'all know that God has put y'all some, some true servants here that are, that are kingdom-minded, that are looking to do kingdom work. And I'm thankful for his mentorship and, and both of theirs for what they have poured into us over the years and, and helped grow us and mold us. And, and I know that God still has big plans for Greenwood. And we can't wait to hear what all he does through this church. Sarah, Matthew, if you're watching, we miss you. We love y'all. We're proud of y'all too. We, uh, I know the, your parents won't admit it, but they're proud of you. And so, but we're glad to be here and glad to see what God is going to do today. With that being said, like I said, I know your pastor doesn't like Pastor's Appreciation Day. So if it's okay with you, I'm not going to preach about Michael today. I'm going to preach the word. I'm going to bring a message because I know as a pastor, now I understand that you, every now and then, it's just nice to get fed. It's nice to sit under someone and just hear the word of God. So today, I'm planning on preaching and not talking about Michael, if that's okay. Amen. Amen. Over the past few weeks at my church, we have been going through something that I think is so relevant in today's world, and that is talking about what is to come. We have been covering revelations. We have been walking through revelations together and preaching on the last days and the rapture and, and the tribulation and what's to come in the near future. And I believe without a doubt that it is very soon that we're going to see these things and we're going to experience some things. But I remember when I was growing up, when I was a kid, my uh, father was a pastor all my life. I remember every month, it seemed like, Powell, we had a revival at our church. Every other month, every other week, we had evangelists that would come in, and they would preach the gospel. And, and me being a preacher's kid, me and Chelsea, we had to be at church every time the doors were open. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Tuesday night prayer meeting, Wednesday night youth group, Thursday night floor sweeping, whatever was going on, we were at church. But I hated revivals as a kid. Because every evangelist that would come to our church would preach on the rapture, would preach on the coming of the Lord. And I remember sitting there on those old wooden pews just grabbing a hold of it with my knuckles turning white, Brother Tommy, having a panic attack thinking, I wish he would hurry up and give the altar call so I can go get saved again. Every Sunday, every Wednesday, whenever there was an evangelist preaching on the coming of the Lord, I got saved. I didn't want to miss it. I was terrified. And then when I become a teenager, they came out with this show called Left Behind. 
And it was about airplanes falling from the sky, cars crashing because people would vanish, waking up and your spouse be gone, children. Man, by the time I was a teenager, I needed therapy. I'd done been saved, and then I, I, I just needed therapy. I needed some help. But I say all that because what I want you to know is during this sermon today, I want you all to just relax. Just relax. Don't stress yourself. Don't scare yourself. Because if you're saved, if you are a Christian, then the last days, the coming of the Lord is our blessed hope. That is our blessed hope. That is what we hang on to. That is what we thrive for. That is what we're working towards, is to see him come back. So I don't know where everyone is in their theological education, so we're not going to go too terribly deep this morning. For one, I don't understand it all myself, and so we're going to keep it simple in the word of God today. But when we look at the word apocalypse, many of us think of, doom and gloom and the end times and and the movie Armageddon and all these horrible things when apocalypse really just means unveiling or revealing. The same thing that revelations means. Revelations is simply the unveiling, the revealing of God's plan for humanity. It gives us a simultaneous view of heaven and earth at the same time. So how did we get this amazing, prophetic, sometimes scary book, Revelations? Well, it happened 65 years after Jesus was resurrected. 65 years after he ascended into heaven, John, his dear friend, Peter, James, and John, that John was one of Jesus' closest friends. And at 95 years old, John was the oldest living apostle. He survived it all. But he found himself in a time where Christians were getting persecuted like never before. He found himself where King Nero, an emperor, was made it his life's mission to wipe off Christianity on the face of the earth. He wanted to do away with it. So John found himself in the same type of situations that we're in today, where we're not persecuted to that extent. So Nero went after him and tried to kill him and boiled him in oil, in a big old pot. Miraculously, John survived this. God spared him. He survived. And, and, and the emperor said, well, if we can't kill him, we'll just put him somewhere where nobody can ever find him. We don't have to deal with him anymore. And they sent him off to the island of Patmos. And there, as he was sitting on this minefield and this hot desert and flame and fire forgotten, he had a flashback when he had a conversation with Jesus and I imagine he was thinking and remembered when Jesus said I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail now you got to remember John was human John was like you and I he was flesh and bone had emotion and went through things he was probably sitting there alone and forgotten and scared and all these emotions and he probably looked at Jesus and said you know what I think the gates of hell are kind of winning right now. Everybody's getting killed. Your church is getting persecuted. The world's gone to hell in a handbasket, as they say. And and I think the gates of hell are winning. How many times have we looked around at our society today and and the way things are going today, our government, our our world, our our leadership, and our school system, and, and how things are just flying off the radar, and we think, God, 
I think the gates of hell are prevailing right now. But Jesus, in all of his glory, looked down at John. And the only time in the entire Bible we get a description of what he looked like. I want, every, I want everyone in here to do something for me this morning. I want you to close your eyes. Just close your eyes. I'm not going to scare you. But I want you to put yourself in a position similar to John's where, or maybe you're in that position this morning where everything around you seems to be going chaotic. The world, your family, your marriage, your finances, and you're looking to Jesus and saying, where are you? And picture what John saw. The Bible says that Jesus opened up heaven and revealed himself to John. And John looked up and he saw Jesus standing there, his hair was white as snow. His robe was shining like the sun. He had a gold sash from shoulder. His eyes glued like fire and his voice sounded like raging water. And he told John, he said, John, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am the first and the last. I was dead, but now I live again. He said, I hold the keys to death, hell, and the grave, and the gates of hell will not prevail. And as you open your eyes this morning, I want you to listen to what he is telling you today. It does not matter what is going on in your life and around you this morning. It does not matter what the government is doing. It does not matter if your family seems to be falling apart. Part. Jesus is saying, I am the I am, and the gates of hell are not going to prevail, prevail in your life. He encouraged John at that moment. And he told John, he said, I want you to write some things down for me. I want you to make some notes, and I want you to write some letters to my churches. Write some letters to my people. To encourage them, to let them know what they're doing wrong. You know, sometimes he has to check us. Sometimes he has to shake us a little bit and get us back in order to where we need to be with him. And these seven letters that he wrote to the church, they represent many different things. They were seven actual churches that he wrote these letters to. They were seven pastors that they represented that he was writing these letters to. Seven types of Christians. This morning, I want us to examine ourselves when I read these seven types off. Don't raise your hand. I want you to just look into your life and find out where you are today with your walk with him. Where you're at in your relationship with Jesus this morning. The first one was they were more passionate about Jesus then than they are now. How many of you today were, can remember a time that you were more on fire for God than you are today? Or maybe you're going through a season of difficulty or a trial. Something's happening in your life that's causing you troubles. Or maybe you're like the other church that has compromised convictions. Maybe some things that used to be wrong in your mind, in your life, is it's not so bad anymore. You've compromised your convictions when it comes to your relationship. Or maybe you're just straight up backslidden turns your back on God, you come to church, you sing the songs, you clap your hands, you pay your tithes, but you're just not living for him like you should anymore. Or maybe you're like some of the churches that he describes here that's just dead on the inside. 
We had a mighty move of God in our worship service here, and we felt his presence. But you're saying, well, Pastor, I didn't, I, I didn't really feel it this morning. You may be listening to me and saying, I wish he would quit babbling so we could go eat lunch, and you just don't feel it like some of the others do. Or maybe you're more on fire today for God than you've ever been. Or the last one he talks about is a church that's lukewarm or a Christian that's lukewarm. But today we're going to look at the blessed hope that he describes in every one of these letters. He sends these letters to the churches. He encourages them. He corrects them. He tells them what they need to do to fix what they're doing. And then he says, your blessed hope is in me. And we're going to look at the blessed hope this morning of the overcomer. Because we all have things in our life that we need to overcome. That we need God to to help us with, to fix, to heal, to deliver, to mend and overcome some things. If you have your Bibles with me, open them up this morning to Revelations chapter 3. And you don't have to stand. I know your pastor has spoiled y'all with with one verse text. I'm not going to make you stand because we're going to read a little more than one verse this morning. Revelations chapter 3 verse 14, it says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write the amen, the faithful and true witness. The origin of the creation of God says this. I don't know about you, but if I received a letter that started like that, I would perk up and pay attention. It says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and I have become wealthy and have no need of anything, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy for me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and the eye salve to apply to your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. The one who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne as I have overcame and sat with my father on his throne. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's go to the Lord in prayer for just a moment. Father, Lord, I ask that you would anoint the remainder of this sermon, that you would speak through me today, Lord. Lord, that you would convict our hearts, that you would that you would draw to us this morning and and remind us, God, that even though we face things, even though we face trials and and situations and stumbles and sometimes fall, Lord, that we can overcome this world and you are our blessed hope. In your holy name we pray, amen. So real quick, in the short time that we have left, we're going to talk about the characteristics of the last day church, the command to the last day church, and the compensation to the last day church. So I don't know about you guys, but I have been told my entire life that we're living in the last days. Some of the elders in here that are, that are much wiser and mature than me, y'all have been told your entire life you're living in the last days. The Lord is coming soon. So when exactly did it start? It started when Jesus was resurrected. That's when it happened. But we are living in what's known as the age of grace. 
because God is patient. Peter tells us that God is patient. He doesn't want to see anyone left. And so he's waiting. Jesus is sitting on go saying, send me. I'm ready. But God doesn't want anyone to be left behind. So when we look at the characteristics of the last day church, the first one is they're apathetic. The last day church is today is just apathetic. They don't have the, the zeal, the, the, the enthusiasm, the interest anymore to see things done for God. They find themselves lukewarm. The Bible tells us it makes God sick when we're lukewarm. Now, I know when we talk about being lukewarm, we, we have always referred to that as he wants us to either be on fire for him or just not even know him. But the people that received this letter from Jesus knew exactly what he was referring to. See, Laodicea was part of a three-city triangle. You had Laodicea, Hermopolis, and Colossae. They all three were recognizable and known for something. See, Hermopolis was like Hot Springs, Arkansas. They were recognized for their hot springs. It was a spa resort. It had healing properties in their water, and that's what they were famous for. Colossa was known for their cold, icy, refreshing water. They were bottling water way before Dasani. They were known for that. Laodicea was known for their riches, their wealth, their banking system. They were the first Wall Street. They were also known for their medical school. They produced an ISAB that they shipped all over the world, and they made royal robes out of black wool. So Laodicea was a very wealthy, very prominent town, but the problem was is they built this fantastic city on a place with no water supply. They had no water. So they had to pipe in their water from Hermopolis and from Colossa. So by the time the hot healing properties of the water from Hermopolis got to them six miles away, it was lukewarm. It had no healing properties. It had no benefits anymore. By the time the water that was cold got to them, it had done, became like the environment that it had traveled through and became lukewarm again. So they just had nasty, stale, lukewarm water that was good for nothing. And so the people that he was writing this letter to understood exactly what he was saying to them. He says, if you are not taking the refreshing word of God out to people that needing to hear it, then you're doing no good. If you're not taking the healing power of fire of the Holy Spirit out to people, you're doing no good. See, church, that's what he's telling us today. He says, if you come to church, you receive from your pastor who's pouring his heart out to you and preaching the word of God and you walk out those doors and you allow the surrounding environment to change you you're no longer delivering that healing power word of God you're no longer delivering that refreshing cool water word of God to them he says you're not doing what I've called you to do so they were apathetic he also told them they were pathetic he says you don't even realize that you don't have or you're not doing what you're called to do he told the church, he, he said, you, you think you're rich, but you're poor. He says, you think you're clothed and you're fine linens, but you're naked. He says, you think that you have the eye salve to heal, but you need to put the eye salve on me that you can see. He said, you don't even know. We find a lot of people nowadays are like that. They, just, they think everything's great. They think everything's going the way it should. Pastor, I come to church, I pay my tithes, I sing, I, and I support the church. 
He's called us to do more. He's called us to be more. He's called us to take the word of God to the hurting. Greenwood, Mississippi is dying and going to hell. It is our responsibility as the church to reach them. So if that's the characteristics, then what's the command? The command is simple. He tells them to be zealous and repent. When we hear the word zealous, he is telling the church, he says, do it now. Don't wait. If you're here today and something's in your life, he's saying, don't go home and pray about it. Don't go home and talk to your wife about it, your husband about it. He says, get it right now. Be zealous. Make a change. And then he goes on to say, open the door. This is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. He says, open the door. Jesus is standing outside the door, knocking. Why don't the sinners open the door? The sinners find themselves more in love with themselves and the world to open the door to hear from Jesus. But the interesting fact of this is Jesus is not writing this letter to sinners. He's writing this to us, to the church, to the saints. So why don't we open the door? We find ourselves around too much noise. We also find ourselves with a little, too little expectation. See, we, we find ourselves too much noise going on, and I get it. I know we're busy. I know we're busy, people. I've got children that are involved in everything that you can think of. We're playing sports and school activities and church and all over the state going and doing. I understand that. Jesus understands that we're busy, but when we allow the busy to overtake what he's called us to do, that's when we have a problem. When we allow the busyness of, of our life to keep us from having that time with God, to finding an hour, two hours, 30 minutes to spend in prayer talking to Him, He's knocking. He's knocking on our heart and we can't hear Him. He goes on to tell Him, He said, there's just too little expectation. It's sad and as a pastor it breaks your heart because you, you know you know your people and, and you know what God has called this church to do and you know what is a, the plan, the future that he has for, for Greenwood Church of God and for Maven Church of God. And, and it breaks your heart because you're thinking, where's the zeal? Where's the passion? Where's the on fire that we need to be to see this calling take place, to see this great commission come to pass? He says, where's the excitement? Like I said yesterday, look, I, I, I know Starkville has a, they got an okay football team. They got a pretty good baseball team. We, we won't talk about that, Powell. Don't amen that. But the thing is, is we find ourselves getting so excited over temporary things. I was sitting in my living room jumping up and down screaming for Arkansas yesterday. Watching a football game. And my daughter I heard her in the back saying, Dad's getting excited about that game, ain't he? And I smiled and I smirked, Brother Michael, but I, I felt a little bit convicted. Where's that passion? Where's that passion for Jesus? Where's that passion when I walk through the doors of the church? 
Where's that passion when I'm around fellow believers who don't judge me, who, doesn't, who don't think different of me, when I run the aisles, when I shout, when I cry, when I sob, when I worship Jesus? Where's that passion that we got to have, church? We've got to get back to being different than this world is. we got to be back to not being ashamed to walk down Walmart aisles and say, Jesus, I love you. I worship you today. We cannot be ashamed anymore to walk outside of the church and tell someone about Jesus, to tell someone about what he's done for us that's the passion that's the excitement that he's wanting from us so the characteristics and the command kind of seem kind of seem down pastor where's the where's the encouragement that comes with a compensation that he gives to the last day church see he tells us that in the scripture, that we can be overcomers. He tells you that you're going to face some things. You're going to face some trials. You're going to face some situations that are, that are hard, that, that don't make sense, that make you question, that make you cry. But he says, take heart. I have overcome the world. If Jesus has overcome the world, then what are we going to do? If he's called us, if he's called us to be like him, to be his people, then we're going to overcome the situations that are facing us. I love the song that we just sang at the very end, and it's so fitting. It's a God thing. Because the scripture tells us that song in Revelations, that the seraphim and the angels will be singing that. So now picture this. You pictured what Jesus looked like a while ago. You can keep your eyes open for this. But when we're talking about the compensation, being an overcomer, getting your rewards, one day, one day when we get to heaven, and it's very, very soon, church, when we're in heaven and we're standing before the Lord Almighty on his throne, and we're looking at him, and I look around, and I see, I see Hank, my dad, standing over there smiling. You see your family that's already gone before you standing there smiling. You see all the angels worshiping, the seraphim that are just praising the name of God, singing the new song, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Holy, holy, holy. And as you're staring at Jesus, he presents you with your crown of life, your treasures behold, and you lay them at his feet. And you worship him. And he looks at you and he says, every tear that you cried, every heartache that you felt, every sadness that you went through, every depression and anxiety and hurt and fear was worth it because you overcame it. You overcame it. You overcame it, church. God, we worship you. One of your pastor's favorite scriptures that he quotes in Psalms, and you've heard it. I heard it a lot. We don't put our trust in men or horses or chariots, but I put my trust in Jesus. Our blessed hope is not in this world. My hope is not in our government. I don't care who the president is. Our hope is not in our school system or our sports teams or our doctors or our physicians or any of that. My hope and my blessed hope is in Jesus Christ this morning, church. That is what he's trying to let us know is that when we go through these things, when we're overcomers in this, we have the victory today.
Jesus does not want you to stay in the valley. He doesn't want you to stay in the valley. Brother Rick. When we look at when we look at all the things that he's telling us, and you're saying, Pastor, that sounds great that we can be overcomers, but how? How do we do it? I'm not going to stand up here. Your pastor is never going to stand up here and tell you that things are easy at times. Life's hard at times. Struggles are hard at times. Pain is real. Revelations chapter 12 tells us this. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accusers of our brothers and sisters and has been thrown down the one who accuses them before our God day and night. Before I go any further on that, that in itself, church, should be enough to make you want to get there. All the attacks of Satan, the tricks, the deception, the heartache, all his little tricks that he uses to make us feel less than we are, to make us stumble, to make us worry. The Bible tells us that one day he will be thrown where he belongs. And he will not be able to hurt you, cause you pain, cause you distraction anymore. That in itself is enough. But how do we do it? How do we overcome? He goes on to tell us, and they that overcame him because of the blood of his lamb, because of the blood of their test, the word of their testimony, and they did not live their life, love their life, even when faced with death. So to overcome, it comes with three parts according to Revelation. First is salvation. I pray that I'm speaking to a church full of people that are saved. I pray I am. But this morning on Pastor's Appreciation Day, of any day, if you want to take your pastor out of this, not honoring him, but think about God. Think about Jesus. The salvation is the first way that we overcome things. Because if we don't have him in our heart, if we don't have him on our side, you cannot overcome what you're going to go through. You will not be able to get through what Satan's going to put in your path here in these last days. Because I can promise you, the Bible tells us clearly it gets worse before it gets better. We've got to be geared up, armed up, and ready to go to spiritual battle here in the last days. Salvation is key and first. Second thing he tells us is the word of their testimony. I preach this to my church all the time. Share your story. There's people that go through things every day that are facing same situations that you have faced, that you have gone through, struggles and trials and sicknesses and things that you've overcame. Share it with people. And third, it says they don't love their life even when faced with death. It's time for us to stop living for us, church. Y'all stand with me this morning. It's time for us to make a decision that we're no longer going to live to please us. That when we face things and, and we're going through things, that we need a savior, a protector, a deliverer, a, a provider on our side. And we've got to live for him. We can't live for ourselves anymore. 
want to bow your heads with me this morning. The seven things that I listed a while ago need to be ringing through your mind and your heart. Is there a time with Jesus that I was more on fire for you than I am now? Am I going through some difficulties, through some trials? Have I compromised my convictions? Am I nowhere near where I need to be with you? Am I lukewarm? I want to start by saying this, church. There's nothing wrong with asking God to forgive you. Nothing wrong with that. I don't know how your pastor normally does it, but I feel like God leading me to do it this way. If you're here this morning, and you can say, Pastor, I'm one of those things. You don't have to be backslidden. You could just be going through some things. You can be less on fire for God than you used to be. If you're one of those things we listed, I want you to just slip your hand up this morning. Be honest with God because He already knows today, church. He already knows. And I'll say this, it would be a privilege of mine if you would come to this altar and allow me to lay my hands on you and pray for you to help you in this situation. So if you'll step out on faith this morning, if that was you, and come to these altars this morning, and let's meet with God. on at times in our church not just this church but the church in general is rooting those people on that are trying to do something for the Lord David we're so proud of you we're so proud of you and Jesus we are so extremely proud of you and I tell you what it is a, a privilege to be able to see uh, people get up and, and, and want to work for the Lord and serve the Lord and, and do things for the Lord and it just makes a big difference and I tell you what I preached a sermon year several years ago talking about um, the spirit of Haram talking about a man named Haram and how God wants to send people into the church to work and I believe that's what he's doing and God we're gonna I'm, I've told the Lord we're gonna use people amen we want to use people. In 20, 20, 25 years, we want people to be here still. Amen? And that's the only, only way. Yes, you probably, you may not be here in 25 years. I may not be here in 25, 50 years. Somebody's got to pick up the baton. Amen? And run this race. And the Bible says about those that went on before called the Hall of Faith said that they, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Amen? And I believe they're rooting us on, and we're going to root them people on that are rising up and doing things for the Lord. Amen? I want you to go with me to the book of Luke. We are going to start. I know that it is November, and it is not even December yet, but I love the month of, of Christmas looking, or the month uh, uh, that we have that last month. Looking at Christmas, and, and I just could not help myself. I wanted to jump and begin to read it. And as I began to ponder about the things that we see in the Christmas story, my mind was, was kind of turned to the fact that they prayed. And I began to think about how God heard the cries of the world and the cries of, of mankind. And God heard the prayers of his people. Amen? I said, amen. Anybody know? 
You serve a God that hears your prayers. It does not fall on deaf ears, but God hears your prayers. You may not always get what you want or what you think you should get, but God hears your prayers. Amen? And he answers according to his will. And we simply just believe him and trust him. I want you to look at the book of Luke, and we're going to look at chapter 1. And I believe that we're going to look at somewhat of, uh, I want to look at the whole, this whole passage. But I want to just read verse 11 for the sake of time. I want to read verse 11 through 13. Tell you what, y'all are up and down so much. But I tell you, I saw a game yesterday where I don't think anybody sat down. So would you just stand up for me if you would as we read the word of God? It's better than any touchdown, any basket, any kind of deer that you can kill or anything like that. The word of God is better than any of it. Amen. Better than a Thanksgiving turkey. It's better than a sugar cured ham. It's better than sweet potato casserole. I may have went a little bit too far there, some of you are saying. Uh, with the with the crunchy stuff on top, not the mash, not the not the, not the marshmallows. It's got to have the, the the crunchy stuff on top. But the word of God is better than any of it. What God is going to do in your life is better than anything that you could ever do in this world. So I want us to stand for His word. It says in verse eleven, Luke chapter one, and there appeared unto him an angel. Of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto you, hear these words. Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. Thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. I want to show you a little graphic we're going to have up here, and it's going to tell you what we're going to look at today. God has heard my prayer. God has heard my prayer. I want you to know that by faith today. It's not, has God, is God going to hear? You may have some voicemails and text messages out there wondering if somebody's heard you. But God does not have a number whatever on his phone that says you got this many text messages and voicemails that have not been heard. God has heard your prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, let us live today by faith. I believe, God, what you are wanting to do today is greater than anything, God, that, God, maybe we have planned. God, today, God, I believe you want to encourage us about the fact that you hear us. God, that you hear us and you're ready to perform prayers. You're ready to perform answers of prayer in our prayers for salvation, our prayers for miracles, our prayers, God, for fulfillment, our prayers for purpose. God, you're going to come in and begin to answer them. And God, we're, begin, we're going to begin to see great things happen because of it. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody says, amen. You may be seated. Just for a few moments, I know I have those few moments because we are getting close to that lunch hour as you always, I know that you're thinking about. I heard a story yesterday from the great Dr. Tony Evans. If you don't know Tony Evans, then you're missing out. 
Tony Evans is a phenomenal, phenomenal preacher. He said there was two men that walked up and one said, do you know the Lord's Prayer? And one said, yeah, I know the Lord's Prayer. He said, well, I'll give you $10 if you can recite the Lord's Prayer. That guy said, well, just listen up. He said, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my I, did I say that my Lord I pray the Lord my soul to take. And that man said, "Here's ten dollars." And it goes to show you how little we know about praying. The man said, "You must know the Lord's prayer, because that's what we were taught as kids and." It goes to show you also how little we know about Scripture. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 tells his disciples that this is how you should pray. You should say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those that have trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Jesus said when you pray. Jesus said this is how you should pray. In fact, prayer so many times in those days was looked at as a ritual. And Jesus does not show them a ritual but an outline. Of how you should pray. You've heard me teach this before about prayer. Jesus shows them that you should first come and worship. You should come and ask for your daily needs. You should come and ask for forgiveness. You should ask for direction. And you should ask that the Lord would begin to lead you in all of your ways. And then also as you finish that time of prayer. Finish in worship again. Jesus begins to show his people. His followers. How to pray. When you open up the scripture and you look at the Christmas story, it is nothing but an answer to prayer. For over 400 years, the world had gone without a voice from God. You go and you open up the Old Testament and you see the closing with Malachi and then you see the opening with Matthew and some refer to that as the dark ages. That the Lord never spoke and never talked and never communicated with his people. And then all of a sudden, like a lightning bolt, the Bible opens up and begins to talk to us about this, this, this son of righteousness, this, this child, this, this Messiah, this Yeshua, Hamashiach that would come on the scene and be the Savior of the world. The one that Genesis chapter 3 began to speak about in verse 15, the seed that would be given from the woman that would crush the head of the serpent, that would bring an end to this curse called sin and usher in a heavenly kingdom that God will bring down from heaven. Jesus showed up on the scene. The Christmas scene and the scene that we celebrate here in the next month is an answer to prayer. It is an answer to the prayers of God's people. Because see, prayer is none other than a supplication, a, a desire. When you open up this passage here in Luke chapter 1, you see that Zacharias is in this once-in-a-lifetime um, kind of state to where he is picked to do this job as a priest. And he is in there praying. And I know, listen, I'm going to kind of ad-lib just a little bit. But I would imagine 
When he got in there, he may have taken care of all of his priestly roles, but I believe that maybe he began to pray about some other things. He had a wife that needed a touch from God. He had a ministry that needed a touch from God, and he had a body that needed a touch from God. They had gone all these years and had never seen a child, and they probably wanted to have a child. Zacharias probably pondered his life and thought about so many things as he had this honor of standing before the Lord and and doing this role for the priesthood and he would pray and he would seek God and the people out there all of a sudden began to wait on him but they did not know that the angel showed up on the inside and began to get a hold of Zacharias and begin to say hey listen we've heard our God has heard your prayer and I begin to think about that saying God had heard his prayer And I began to think about all of the things that Zacharias had prayed for. Not just the prayer for the priesthood, but all of the things that he could have prayed for in his life. All of the things that he could have prayed for in his ministry and in his body and praying that God would begin. Because prayer is not just rituals, but prayer is when we literally have supplication and plead and beg with God and say, God, would you touch this situation? Prayer is not something to where we show up in God's presence and say, oh, thou father, you who was sitting. You don't have to be King James when you pray. God wants someone that will pray and seek Him. You can pray in your recliner. You can pray on your back porch. You can pray in your prayer closet. Some of you that may be a little claustrophobic and you need to pray in the open. There's nothing wrong with going and walking and pray. I do that very often walking down my road. In fact, I I was stopped by someone not long ago walking and praying and someone from this church and they were like, what's wrong? What are you doing? How are you doing? I said, I'm just walking and praying. and Because that's how I sometimes communicate with God. But the key thing is we must communicate with the Father. We must communicate with God. For so, so many of us and so many of believers, we, we begin to do other things than pray. We have time to listen to music. We have time to get ready and even go to church. We have time to do this, we have time to do that, but we lose out because we do not make time to pray. Because prayer is simply a communication with God. If you're not communicating with God, you cannot expect to receive from God. See, when you look in the Bible, you see, in the Bible, you see that there, the Old Testament is full of people that prayed. Abraham prayed, Adam prayed, Noah prayed, David prayed, Daniel prayed, and even our Lord taught us to pray. The question that I have for you today is how many of us, including myself, is setting aside time to pray? Not time to ask God for something, but spending time with God as Jesus taught us to do. To where we say, our Father, I worship you. I love you. I praise you. But God, would you 
Let your will be done in my life. Begin to pray and have communication with the Heavenly Father. And you'll start beginning to pray this way. God, not my will, but your will be done. You'll start praying, God, if you don't answer this prayer, I'm going to still trust in you because you are my source. And when you open up this Christmas story, you see it is full of people that are praying, not just Zacharias, but you see Mary as she ponders and begins to communicate with the angel about all of the things that is taking place in her life in Luke chapter 2. You see this older lady named Anna that was a widow. The Bible said that she sought the Lord with fasting and with prayers. Prayer is not something nominal and it's not something that we should just do in the church. But prayer must be the heartbeat of the church. Prayer must be something that the church picks up once again and says if we will pray and turn from our wicked way, then God will heal, heal, hear from heaven and heal our land. And in this Christmas story, you see Prayer at the center. You see, Zacharias is told here in chapter 1, I've heard your prayers. And today I want to tell you, just like we see in Christmas, just like we see in the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, God has heard your prayers. So I begin to think about several things that are found within the scripture and the narrative and the nativity story. And I begin to think about the prayers that God answered the individuals that are involved here. And I came up with four prayers that were answered. And I just want to take you through them in these last few moments that we have. Because, see, the fact of the matter is some of you have prayed for salvation. Some of you have prayed for direction. Some of you have prayed for miracles. Some of you have prayed for God to begin to feel, fulfill things in your life. And I'm here to tell you today that there is a God in heaven that has heard your prayers. I don't care if you was the only one that prayed it and no one else knows about it. The preacher doesn't even know to pray about it. Nobody in your family knows that you prayed about it. There is a God in heaven whose ear is attentive to the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you lift up a prayer to God, God hears your prayer. For one moment, don't you ever doubt that God's heard it. For one moment, don't you ever let the devil whisper in your, whisper in your ear and say, God's not heard you. You're not being heard by God. The prayers are being thrown down to you. No, they're not. God has heard your prayer. For some of you, you may have prayed a prayer of salvation. Maybe it's a prayer of salvation for a family member. Maybe it's a prayer of salvation for a Child, anybody know how that feels? For some, it may be a, a prayer of salvation for your own life. But when you look at the Christmas story, that is exactly what Jesus Christ coming into this world was all about. It was about God understanding that the sacrifice of the blood, the blood of the goats and the slaughter of an animal was not sufficient for the price that they had to pay for sin. But for God so loved the world that he gave his
his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The gift of Jesus in this nativity story is an answer to prayer for the salvation of the world. Thomas said, Lord, I don't know the way. And Jesus said, you do. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. If you have said that prayer for salvation in your life, I want to tell you today that you don't have to jump through a hoop. You don't have to do the rules that the church has laid out. You don't have to dress a certain way, act a certain way before you get saved. All you've got to do is say, Lord Jesus, would you save me? And anyone that believes on the Lord Jesus Christ and confesses him as Lord, they shall be saved. Your prayers of salvation can be answered today and before you leave this place, your name can be written in the Lamb's Book of Life and you could be on your way to an eternity with an almighty God and the same thing can be said about your family some of you have pleaded and prayed for salvation of your home and salvation of your children and salvation of maybe some friends and I'm here to tell you today don't beat them upside the head don't begin to knock them upside the head with rules and regulations begin to pray for them and we serve a God that answers prayers for salvation it is God's desire to save everyone that will call on the name of the Lord Jesus so we just say it like this. Dear God would you just open up their hearts and let them see that they need you more than they need anything. Right now they may be addicted to this and addicted to that and addicted to life but let me tell you if we would just pray and say God open up their hearts and let them turn to you. God can answer our prayers for salvation. The next thing that I saw that he answered in Christmas in this nativity story, the next prayer that the Lord began to answer was prayers for the miraculous. Today we are here today and we are worshiping the Lord and we are gathered together, but sitting in these pews there are people that need God's miraculous touch. I'll never forget when... Amber came home from that prayer meeting and she had had this mass in her belly and came home and it was removed. It was gone. She didn't have to go to the doctor's office. She didn't have to go to the surgical center. She didn't have to do any of that. The great physician came in and did the surgery. If you don't believe it, I can't help it. I can't make this stuff. I didn't make it up. I didn't dream it up, but it happened. Now, I understand that there are things and there are situations that we don't always understand. God, why didn't you answer this prayer? Why didn't you do this prayer this way? Why didn't you save and heal this person? And why didn't you do the miraculous in this situation? Why did you let that person die? I've almost given up trying to do that. Every now and then that does creep into my mind and I just have to remind myself that I am not God. But I still serve a God that can answer miraculous prayers or prayers for miracles. I still serve a God that can miraculously answer prayers 
four miracles and some of you may be sitting in this house right now and you're dealing with something and you need the miraculous touch of God I'm not going to be like a televangelist and tell you that it's going to be gone if you give a certain amount of money or if you say a certain prayer or you're anointed with a certain kind of oil but what I will tell you is this if you offer up your prayers for a miracle to God there is a God that can answer and he can begin to do the impossible. He can shine down on an old man and an old woman like Zacharias and Elizabeth and begin to give them a child that would begin to be the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. He can show up with a virgin girl named Mary and he can begin to heal her and give her a baby even though she never knew a man. There is a God in heaven that can do exceedingly abundantly above all and whatever you need, he can do the impossible say amen somebody I don't know why he doesn't sometimes don't know why he does sometimes but what I do know as a follower of the Lord I'm supposed to believe that my God do you need a miracle this morning I said do you need something from God I'm not telling you that it's going to happen this morning but I'm asking you do you still believe that the Lord can still do the impossible if you need God to do the impossible this morning if you're here this morning and you say pastor I am someone that needs a miracle from God would you just reach up your hand and say God I believe that you can do anything that I need would you reach up your hand right now and say that in the name of the Lord Jesus oh God I mean hey look don't don't be quiet do you need it say Lord we need you He answered prayers for miracles. Probably my, one of my favorite miracles that he answered during this time was the star. It wasn't a body. It wasn't a, it wasn't a correction for a medical condition. But the star was a cosmic, cosmic miracle from the great and divine creator that put a star where it needed to be to help out with the wise men and the shepherds and show that the Lord was being born over born over Bethlehem it was a cosmic miracle we serve a God that is not he is not regulated he is not confined by our human lines that we have drawn but he can color outside the lines if needs be he can do miracles within the creation he can do miracles within the cosmic he can do miracles in however and whatever need that it is he can do miracles he is able to answer your prayers for miracles some of you may be here today and you may be looking for fulfillment. God, you've let me down. God, you, you've let me down and you've prayed for prayer. you prayed prayers of fulfillment. God, where's your promise? You said you was going to heal. Where's the healing? You said you were going to use. Where's the usage? You said you were going to provide. Where's the provision? You said you were going to step 
you were going to begin to elevate. Where's the elevation? Lord, where is the fulfillment of your promises? Well, you can look at the nativity story and see that he is a God that fulfills. I can give you just two. The book of Luke tells us of them in chapter 2. Simeon was an older man that was sitting there that was faithful to the Lord, that had prayed and the Holy Spirit had given him the promise that you shall not see death, you shall not pass on until you see the Messiah. Well, the Bible gives us the story that he goes and sees Jesus who is being presented at the temple. And he goes and he wraps up this baby in his arms and he says, I've seen now the consolation of Israel. I've seen the promise. And then you look at Anna. A lady that was a widow, she had only been married a few years and now she was fasting and praying in the temple and the Bible said that she looked over and her life was fulfilled, I believe, when this handmaiden of the Lord looked over and began to see the Messiah and said, oh, thank you, Lord, for what you have fulfilled in my life. Well, you just have to turn on over to the book of Luke chapter 1 and look at our text and see that God was fulfilling the promise that he had promised in the Old Testament that he was going to bring forth a forerunner of Christ in the spirit of Elijah and that would be none other than John the Baptist and this man that's being talked about in Luke chapter 1 and then you can go to Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 when the curse is given to the man and the woman and the serpent and he looks at, at the woman and he looks at them three and he says but I'm telling you there's coming a seed and out of the seed of the woman there shall be a bruising that will take place on the head of the serpent and when Mary began to hear from the Lord in Luke chapter 1 it was a fulfillment of scripture that they probably thought was never going to be fulfilled they thought that it was never going to be accomplished for 400 years they had never heard from God but all of a sudden God showed up to this little damsel girl and began to say I am a God that fulfills he that has began a good work in you is faithful to complete it and I want to tell somebody here today and this message is for me also what God has started God will fulfill he has not let you down he has not forgotten about you but he is a faithful promise fulfilling God say amen somebody anybody got promises come on Hey, I know we're, I know this is Thanksgiving and it is sometimes, most of the time, the, 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 can I just say deadest service that we ever have, you know, at times, not today, but just any time when we have holidays. But does anybody here need a promise fulfilled from God? Does anybody need a reminder today that God fulfills, God fulfills what he's promised. God does not let his people down. If he said it, we believe it and that settles it in Jesus name anybody need God to come through for them lift your hands if you do come on nobody I guess I'm the only one but the last thing that he did he answered prayers of purpose Rick could you get something ready just real quick I'm almost done oh yes purpose What do I do with my life? What do I do with this life that God's given me? Purpose. 
Not only can he answer prayers for miracles, not only can he answer prayers for fulfillment, not only can he answer prayers for salvation, but he can answer prayers for fulfillment. Most scholars that I've read say she was around 12 to 14, 15, maybe 16 years old. And I can just imagine, I've told you this before, Faith's got a little vanity in her room. And I, I imagine Mary, I know they didn't have them back in those days, but I just imagine Mary. They didn't have TVs, cell phones, any of that kind of stuff. And I can just imagine Mary sitting there, maybe getting ready for bed, combing her hair. I don't know what she was doing. But at that age, she thought all she was going to do was get married, Brother Bill. She was betrothed to this man named Joseph. And she was thinking that she, that, was, that was her purpose. Her purpose. Zacharias is in the temple praying and doing the priestly work and thought that he was already fulfilling his purpose. The shepherds were out in the field doing what they thought they were supposed to be doing, taking care of the sheep, fulfilling their purpose. The wise men were headed to see this king that was going to be born with gold, frankincense, and myrrh going to, they thought, just fulfill their purpose doing what, they were just mystics doing what they thought they should do. But what I see in this nativity scene that I've seen, that I've really never looked at before in this way, every one of them, I believe, was praying for purpose. What should I do with my life? What should I accomplish with my life? What should I, what should I, what, what should I do for God? And how should I be fulfilled? And the nativity story shows me an answer to prayer for purpose. And when you pray, God, not my will but your will be done, he gives you and shows you your purpose. <laughs> he shows up in the bedroom of a damsel by the name of Mary and says, you're not just going to marry Joseph, but you're about to give birth to the Son of God. He shows up on the, the fields, on the, on, the, on the side of the field or the mountains and where they're grazing their sheep and they're taking care of their sheep. And he shows up to the shepherd and he says, you're going to be an evangelist for the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. He shows up to an old man like the name of Zacharias and says, you and your wife are going to be individuals that's going to give birth to this forerunner and your purpose is not just defined by this role but your purpose is more than what you ever thought it could be and I want to tell somebody here today that your purpose is more than just what you think it is that God has got something in store for you and if you've been praying at night if you've been praying when you're by yourself if you've been praying and saying God what is it that you want me to do there is a God that will show up He's heard your prayers and he can give your life purpose like never before. Stand with me. I'm done. Hey, Zeus, come here. Just come on, Mary. Stand right there. I'm going to give you an example. 
over the next couple weeks, I, I think I'm going to preach in this direction. Maybe, maybe not the Christmas time, but after the first of the year, I'm going to preach in this direction because you are the church. I'm not the church. You're the church. What we have here is based on us and not me. Okay? Your faithfulness is just as important as my faithfulness. Your availability is just as important as my availability. I just want to, I just want to give you this example real quick. This young man came to me and said, hey, pastor, can I play the drums? I said, sure. You know, we need, you know, we, we, we wanted somebody to, to kind of come in and fill that role to give some availability to singers and we'll say, yeah, sure he come in he done he loves it he texts me he's, I'm not saying his main purpose is playing the drums but I believe he's on a path to discover his purpose a prayer and a plead for purpose and God will show up and show you David was available and he was out there watching his sheep and just because he was available, he got chose to be the king. And then he was going to deliver cheese and crackers to the people on the battlefield. And just because he was doing what seemingly nobody else wanted to do, he found his purpose with a sling and a stone because everybody else was scared to slay Goliath. And it could be that just with a simple drumstick in your hand that you could find a grander scheme for God's purpose in your life and you could be the catalyst for something greater that God has in store for your life but the day I ask who is like this man who is like this young man who is like anyone else that says pastor I'll do this I'll do that and in the process of doing it, you find your purpose. He answered prayers of salvation, prayers for miracles, prayers for fulfill fulfillment, and prayers for purpose. If you're here today and any one of those fits your, fits your life, I want you to step out and I want you to find a place in this altar. I'm not going to make you. We got one man that's already here because I forced him up here. I'm not going to force you. If none of this fits in your life, that's fine. But if you say, Pastor, I'm in those, one of those fields. I, I, need, I need a miracle. I need salvation. I need fulfillment. I need purpose. I want you to come and I want you to find your place in this altar. And I want you to get, begin to just pray.
said if we would pray and we would see and humbly lay our lives down at your feet that you would bring us to a place where earth and heaven for your glory make us holy so we've come to kneel before your throne with faith and confidence